0: You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. appreciate yours even more. We did have a uh, we went to a church on Sunday that I enjoy going to different churches much more than the rest of my family does uh, because I don't care what people think of me probably as much but um, we went to this church Sunday and they had a uh, big Spanish ministry so they had like a a Spanish service earlier and then they had a mixed uh, I don't don't know what the word is but a, a together worship service so it was Spanish and English together and every other verse of the songs would be one in Spanish, and the words up on the screen would be in Spanish, and then underneath would be the English words. And, and it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really something different. Um, and then they had the English message, and, uh, and that was really good. So we had a, we, had, we enjoyed, I enjoyed that. I think the kids did too. They enjoyed it. Uh, and my wife. Uh, <laughs> your <laughs> wife didn't enjoy it? No, she didn't. Um, anyway, it was good to get away. It was good to uh, just spend time in a small little camper, basically, and be stuck with each other. I like sitting around the fire. Kids are like, it's hey, hot, can we go in the air conditioning? Okay. So um, I like I like camping. They don't even like landing. But we, we, we did a lot of things outside of the, um, outside of the uh, park there and went, went off and did, did some different things. Anybody ever been to the Gilmore's Car Museum? Peter is? Yeah, it's probably not far from where he was. Anyway, that's it, just Peter? Got no, in here, that's right. It is an amazing car museum. If you are into old cars, and I mean old cars, okay, the young people are like, you mean like for like 1990? <laughs> no, I mean old cars. They have some amazing cars. That you would enjoy um, You would enjoy that museum. Um, let's see here. Let me give you some announcements. Uh, the Teen All Nighter is this Friday to Saturday, so 8 p.m. to 9 a.m. Brother Andrew would have any details that you need, so you can see him after church if you have any questions. Uh, the closed Closet is open, that's this Saturday, right? No, that's next Saturday, week from Saturday. That closed Closet will be open, you can see Kevin and Julie if you have any questions about that. And the Men's Camping Trip, August 17th through Saturday. August 19th. That's twenty five dollars a person or fifty dollars maximum for family. That is a fun time. I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you can go, uh, men, uh, ladies. We don't want you to go. Um, that's real camping, right? Ish. Now Joshua Craft, wherever he is, I saw him here earlier. He's out, he's out on the door. He's probably thinking that's not real camping. He does. Him and Brandon did real camping in the middle of winter. You know, we have to do everything ourselves. So we camp in tents. We have fire. Micah makes fire bombs. But the um, but uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you'd like to go, you can see Brian or Paul. Uh, actually see Paul Sargent for it. Um, let's see here. I think I've got I've got some things I think are funny. This wasn't funny, but it's true. Uh, in most churches, honestly, I read these things and I hear about this stuff in other churches. We don't experience it here. A guy told me, preach the word and they will come. And then left the church when I preached the passage he didn't like. Some pastors actually do have to deal with it. All right, uh, I was playing chess with a friend when he said, let's make this interesting. So he stopped playing chess. <laughs> the people that like chess are like, come on, that's not even funny. It is funny. Uh, why do horses have a low divorce rate? Anybody? Because they have stable relationships. <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, the guy who stole my diary just died. My thoughts are with his family. I think that was funny. All right. Uh, does anybody remember two weeks ago? Well, it's actually been three weeks ago now because we had vacation Bible school and then I was gone last week. Does anybody remember what we talked about? Three weeks ago. I know it's a long time ago. You're supposed to say the Bible, right? That is what we talked about. We did talk about the Bible. So we talked about uh, that the, the thought for this probably three weeks worth of material is that God's word can be trusted. Now you say, Man, you're gonna spend three weeks on that? We should spend a year on that. Because without that truth, we don't have anything to base our lives and our eternity on. Um, and so we talked about where did the Bible come from? Second Timothy three sixteen says that what all scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God and is profitable for for reproof, correction, instruction, of righteousness. Alright. Thank you. Three of um, you. And then, also we're told in 2 Peter, chapter 1, that the Word of God came to us how? Does anybody remember what it says? What, through what's that, John? Through holy men of God. Right? as they were moved by the Spirit. So, we have the Word of God that came from God. So, we talked about this. We talked about how was it was assembled. And I showed you a video. We're not going to do that again. But I wanted to read you just, I I read this, I'm just going to read a a portion of it again. Uh, And I think this puts it really well. In conclusion, it is important to emphasize that no church council made the canon of scripture. No church by its decrees gave to or pronounced on the books of the Bible their infallibility. The Bible owes its authority to no individual group. The church does not control the canon, but the canon controls the church. Although divine, divine authority was attributed to the New Testament books by the le, by the later church, this authority was not derived from the church, but was inherent in the books, inherent in the books themselves. As a child identifies its mother, the later church identified the books which it regarded as having unique authority. And so we have the Word of God. We 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 know that it came through. The canon was assembled. Um, and God used man to assemble that, right? But man was not in control of that. God was in control of it. Now, um, so we talked, and then we, we spent some time talking about the Bible, uh, being inspired. What does the word inspired mean? God breathed. Um, and so it means that the word of God is truly from God himself. It is his words that we have. Now, um... Some some would say the Bible is inspired, but they hold to it to a different level than we do. Um, some believe the inspiration of Scripture only extends to the thoughts or the ideas, or it only extends to the major things and not the minor things. But we believe in, as Baptists and Baptists traditionally have believed this, that we believe in the in the, uh, the verbal plenary plenary inspiration of Scripture, which means that. The, the verbal means that the words themselves are inspired, and plenary means that all portions of Scripture are inspired. Now, you say, well, th- is that important? Well, if we don't believe that. Now, we believe that not, not by default, but we believe that because that's what the Bible teaches us. But, if we don't believe that, who's to determine which parts are inspired and which parts are not? So, um, we have nothing to stand on if we don't believe uh, that the whole of Scripture is inspired. Now, um, and I'm, I'm just skimming through here real quick. Some things that I wanted to highlight. Um, Peter he wrote and he affirmed that Old Testament scripture was scripture that is God breed Then Peter also referred to Paul's writings and said, "Hey, that's scripture also." So Peter takes an Old Testament. Uh, in fact, the, the, the text is. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. It's Paul that wrote it. Uh, for the scripture saith, "Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labourer is worthy of, re- re- worthy of his reward." So the for the first part of that came from Old Testament scripture. The second part of that came from the New Testament. So it, he's saying that these are equal. Okay, the Old Testament, and New Testament are equal in, in Scripture. Now, what do we use to prove the inerrancy of Scripture? We use Scripture, right? So, is that circular reasoning? Um, The the question is, is it, what scripture says, is it consistent with just scripture, or is it consistent with provable science? And it is consistent with provable science. Um, You say, what science says in evolution, teaches evolution. That's not provable science. That's a theory of evolution. Um, But provable science lacks the missing links to prove the the evolution that many hold to. All of us start with an assumption. We simply start with the assumption that there is a creator. That in the beginning, God. That's the assumption we begin with. And based on that, everything fits perfectly and is consistent. If you start with the assumption that there is no creator, then nothing makes sense. Because we can't have what we have. We can't have life coming from non-life. Now, uh, so we talked about it being... Um, inspired. Now, number two, here's where we're going to begin this week. Uh, the Bible is not only inspired, but it's infallible. I covered some of this years ago, point years ago. I did a series called Diving Deeper, and we went into some of the different doctrines of the Bible, and we covered some of this back then. Uh, but you don't remember what I taught you three weeks ago, so I'm pretty sure it'll be okay rehashing something that we talked about uh, a couple years ago. The, the word infallible means that Scripture is incapable of failing. So, Scripture uh, is incapable of being wrong, and it's incapable of not fulfilling what it is supposed to fulfill. So, based on this doctrine of biblical uh, biblical inspiration, the message breathed out by God would be incapable of failing because God never fails. If God breathed it out, and God cannot fail, then His words cannot fail. 2 Peter 1 tells us this, verse 20, knowing Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation... For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of men, but uh, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So you see, if God's words could fail, then God could fail. Jesus made a statement in John seventeen, he said to sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Uh, truth is a wishy washy fluid thing in our culture today, that uh, truth your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. That's simply contrary to what the word truth means. Now, my truth might be that I like pepperoni on my pizza, and somebody else's truth might be that they like, what are, the, what are the fish on there? Yeah. That might be your truth. That's not my truth. Okay? So in that way, we can say, um, here's what's true for me in that way. But fact and truth is not subject to the hearer, to the speaker. It is true all the time. You see, it's always true that Stephen likes pepperoni on his pizza. And it's always true that Stephen doesn't like anchovies on his pizza, um, and so that that is that is true. Not determined by who is saying it uh, or who's experiencing it. Now there are many variations to the definition of the word infallibility, but according to Westminster Westminster's Dictionary of Theological Terms, it says this: Biblical infallibility is the belief that the Bible is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation and the life of faith. And will not fail to accomplish his purpose. In fact, in Second Timothy chapter 3, we often read verse 16 when we're talking about this. But uh, Paul wrote this in verse 15. And that from a child, speaking of Timothy, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now what Scriptures did he know from a child? It's possible he had heard some uh, some other writings. Uh, I don't know how old Timothy was when when maybe some of the... Gospel parts of the Gospels were known, or maybe some early letters. I don't think so. The, the scripture that he knew was what? It was Old Testament, right? Yeah. Now, so let's let's go on with that. Uh, Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament is able to make you wise in the salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But you go, well, I don't see Jesus' name in the Old Testament, but he's there everywhere. Yeah. Then he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, um, might we say, okay, we believe the Bible is inspired, we believe the Bible is infallible. We believe that it will accomplish what it is meant to accomplish, right? We might say, well, that's enough that we agree on that. Uh, The Bible is trustworthy and it will not fail. But according to that definition of infallibility, which is a good definition, the Bible could still contain errors on things that we might think are non-essentials. And you might say, well, like historical facts or scientific facts. You might say, well, that's not important that w- there could be errors in that. So mm-hmm. we're going to cover this now. The Bible is inerrant. So the Bible is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. The next, this is the next step in biblical authority. We, we must hold to this. And you say, well, why does that matter? Well, we're going to talk about that. You, if you read through your Bible, you're going to find that there are run-on sentences... There are places where we would put a comma. There are places where... I was reading... Um, it. I think it's in Genesis chapter 23. Today I was reading... And there's a spot at the end of the verse where there's not even punctuation. It just ends. There's, like, there's no punctuation because it goes into the next verse. We might go, well, I'm trying to put a comma there. Or I might put a... They put a colon and we might put a semicolon or something like that. We might read of uh, grammatical errors. Well, they, they didn't... Um, there's a subject, but there's no verb, right? And we might say that that, that, is, that there's errors in that way. Well, here's, here's the issue. Um, I'm thankful that we have a literal translation. It is not a word-for-word word translation, because that would be impossible to read. But for the most part, we have a literal translation of the Bible. Um, and most of the modern versions are just based on different texts. But the King James and and other ones are literal translations of uh, of the of the Greek, especially talking about the New Testament. And so here's the thing what fit Greek at that point you can't do a literal translation. You could do a thought for thought you could do a paragraph for paragraph translation and make the grammar right but if you want a literal translation the grammar is not always going to work out right in English. Does that make sense? So um, So, based on translation, also based on the English um, that we have, is very old, right? And English has changed. Not always for the better. But things that were acceptable at that point, in fact, if you ever, when people say they're King James 1611, they're not, because they don't read in 1611, because they can't. But the King James back in 1611 is almost unreadable to us today because the English language has changed so much since then. And so uh, what, what happens is people that are critical of, of the Bible, they throw out claims that there are errors in the Bible. Anybody ever read somebody say, well, there's errors in the Bible. There's errors all over. Anybody ever? Yep. If you've ever talked talk to somebody about the Bible, um, at, at any length, they're gonna people are going to say, well, there's errors in the Bible. Now, the next time that happens, say, can you give me scripture? Can you give me uh, book and verse, book, chapter, verse of where that error is so I can look it up? and they probably don't. Okay, You might run into somebody who has an idea, and I'm going to talk about a couple of those. Um, but if somebody says there's errors in the Bible, you say, oh, show me where that's at. And they probably can't. But somebody has told them that they're errors, and they repeat that. Now, you might judge them and say, well, how many things do you repeat that you've heard me say or other preachers say that you don't really know for a fact? Okay? So just as much as we can mock that person and say, I don't even know what they're talking about. When you repeat things that you don't really know, you're doing the same thing. Now, Wayne Grudem um, is a theologian, um, and he wrote this. He gives four problems with denying inerrancy. If we deny inerrancy, a serious moral problem, con- moral problem confronts us. May we imitate God and intentionally lie in small matters also? So, if this is God's book, it's inspired. We believe we've, we've already covered that. It's infallible. But you say, well, there might be errors. Can we be like then? And is he okay with us intentionally having some mistruths? Is that okay? Because mistruths are called lies. Well, of course not. If inerrancy is denied, we begin to wonder if we can really trust God in anything he says. If you know somebody who has a tendency to lie, when they tell you something important, you question whether they're telling you the truth. If we deny inerrancy, we essentially make our own human minds a higher standard of truth than God's word itself. We say, well, I know more than God does because he said, that this is supposed to be an error, but that's, and when we deny that, we are making our own minds higher than what God says, than what his word is. If we deny inerrancy, then we must must also say that the Bible is wrong, not only in minor details, but in some of its doctrines as well. There's no way to be able to hold to the fact that, that the Bible is true, in uh, major things if it's not true in minor things. So, Gruden defines inerrancy that Scripture, is, inerrancy as this fact, that Scripture does not contain anything that is contrary to fact. Okay? So that's what inerrancy The Scripture does not contain anything that is contrary to fact. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. All right. I was talking to Brother Andrew about this today. I said, so I remember years ago hearing somebody preach. Well, the, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. And he tried to make the case that uh, that this version of the Bible has been tried seven times. It's gone through seven fires. And, and that's how we have a pure word of God. Here's the problem with that. That's not at all what the scripture is saying. Okay. It says the words of the Lord are pure words. Okay. Words of the Lord are pure words. As silver. What is it pure like? It's, it's purified. It is pure as silver that has been tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. That's just stressing how pure it is. It's not that the... See, as soon as the words of God came out and went on paper, they were pure words. They didn't have to be tried seven times. They didn't have to be purified seven times. It's just, that is just, the, the psalmist is just saying, it is as pure as gold that has been tried and purified seven times. That's how pure the Word of God is. There is no impurity in the Word of God. So, inerrancy, though, allows for common speech. Like we might say, the sun is rising in the east and is falling in the west. Now, is the sun actually rising and actually falling? It's not our question. So, no, okay? It's not actually rising. We're spinning. We're going around this, this sun, unless you're a flat earther. Uh, but we're going around this sun. And as you go around the sun, uh, the sun looks like it's rising in the east, looks like it's falling in the west, but it's really just we're spinning, right? So is it, is it um, inaccurate to say the sun is rising and falling? No, we know what it means. We know that's a, that's a figure of speech. And if somebody said that to you, the sun sun rises in the east, would you think that they're lying to you? It doesn't rise in the east. We're spinning. It doesn't rise. So, of course, um, no one's considered untruthful by that statement. And so there are skeptics who try to disprove the accuracy of Scripture by looking for supposed contradictions in the Bible. Now, in order to find contradictions, they must assume that we have all the facts or that everything is in chronological order. Uh, they also assume that we must understand everything. Um, and so, let, let me give you some examples. Okay? Here are some difficult passages. Okay? These are where some would say, that is an error in Scripture. Matthew 13, verse 31 uh, through verse 32 says, Another parable put ye forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like, an, like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in this field which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is growth, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air came and lodge in the branches thereof. Do you know that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on the earth? But wait, this says it is the least of all seeds. He was speaking to people who were farmers. He was speaking to people who understood agriculture. And the, the smallest seed that was used for planting a crop was the mustard seed. And so the statement was true in the context of agriculture. He wasn't making a statement that that is the smallest seed that's ever existed or that would ever exist. Matthew chapter 21. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward uh, forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? Okay, that's Matthew's account. But in Mark's account, the same story, Mark, uh, this happened over a two-day period. And so they would say, see, that one says it happened right that moment, and there was no time in between, but Mark says it's a two-day period. Well, which one is correct? Well, they're both correct. You see, Matthew, Mark gives us a timeline, but Matthew's speaking about a topic. Matthew wasn't concerned with the timeline. He was concerned with the idea or the thought, the truth that happened there. So there is no contradiction. You have to assume that they're both giving you all the information and that they're giving you exclusive information if you're going to assume that those are contradictory to each other. So when faced with these difficult passages, we have to ask ourselves, is it possible that both are true? And if you approach it that way, you approach it fairly You're going to find that there's always a a, there's always a solution, and not because we're stretching it. It's just Matthew was writing to a Jewish crowd, right? Luke was writing to a Gentile crowd. They they write to different. uh, They uh, Mark I think was to a, a primarily Samaritan crowd. I mean they wrote to different people, okay, and they had different things that they were concerned with at that moment. Um, many skeptics they might say something like, "Surely you can't believe that. You you don't believe that a, man, a whale swallowed a man, do you? I mean that's ridiculous." And then three days later threw him up on the sea on the seashore. You don't believe that, do you? And they try to demean you. They try to. Uh, talk down to you and say, you could not, there's no way you could believe that. You're a rational human being. I thought I thought I knew you. I thought you had logic, and yet you believe that a, a whale swallowed a man. Don't you know that whales can't swallow people? Well, there actually is a whale that can swallow people. But as I said before, as we looked at this before, um, it's actually a great fish. So it doesn't even have to be a whale. So, and I, I made this point before, it could have been a minnow. That God prepared because he, the Bible says He prepared a great fish. I don't think it was a minnow. I don't think God took a minnow and blew it up. Okay, I think it probably or very likely could have been a whale. You go, but a whale's not a fish. It's a great sea creature. Is what the actual literal reading of that is. All right, so it could have been anything. Here's the point: God prepared it and God did it. So you don't actually believe that that a a, a, a fish swallowed a man, do you? Absolutely. And uh, when somebody says, "Surely you can't believe that," that's not a reason argument. And, and don't do that with other people. Surely you can't believe that. Uh, use reason when you discuss. When we're going to have, um, when well we're supposed, to, we're commanded to, uh, we're, we're commanded that we are to have to give an answer, to give an account, to give a, a defense, an apologia, to give a defense of our faith. When we do that, be prepared don't use things like, oh, you can't believe that, could you? That's crazy. And so, uh, a lot of the arguments like that are based on assertions. They, they lack any proof. But it's just meant to make you... Feel. Our, our culture right now is arguing with Christianity, <laughs> arguing with moral and biblical things by simply saying, I can't believe it. You must hate people. You're a hater because of this. You're a hater. No, we don't hate. That's, I've gone through that before and I'm I won't believe it at But we don't hate, we love. That's why we should tell the truth. But as I said before, those people that disagree with us are not our enemies. It is the world. It is the system, the wicked system of the world that is our enemies. All right. Scripture can be trusted. It can be trusted to lead to salvation. It can be trusted to be theologically truthful. It can be trusted to be historically and scientifically correct. It is inerrant. It means it is without error. Okay, let me do this too. Uh, The Bible is understandable. We'll try to cover this uh, here in the next few minutes. Uh, The Word of God is to be understood and it is to be followed. We're not given all the information on everything, are we? I would like to know more about some things. But what God does give us is understandable. More than one time, Jesus said, have you not read? Well, that implies that we're supposed to read his Word and that we're supposed to understand it, right? Have you not read? Well, no, I haven't read it. Maybe that's the problem. Romans chapter fifteen verse four says, "For whatsoever of things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope." I had somebody once tell me that we don't need to understand the Word; God, the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We still. Then why do we have translations, right? Uh, we need to be able to understand. We need to be able to read it, uh, and by reading it, we're supposed to understand it. Now, where do we gain an understanding of God through that? That has to come through Scripture, but that doesn't mean you can't understand the language. Okay? So we read Scripture, We through Scripture reading, He, the Holy Spirit, grants us understanding. So if that's the case, why do we like understanding? So I'm going to give you some reasons I think we like understanding. Because we like knowledge of the Scripture. You say, well, I'm saved, but I don't understand this passage of Scripture. Well, you need to have knowledge of the Scriptures, not just a passage of scripture. You can read one, one verse or even one section of Scripture and have a misunderstanding of what that word means or what that phrase means or what that teaching means because you don't understand Scripture. Number two, I think we, don't, we lack understanding because we don't want to believe. Does anybody believe anything they wish they didn't believe? I do. Okay. I mean, I'm just telling you there are things where it would be a lot easier if I didn't believe that. And you wait and say, well, um, I want to believe that everybody goes to of it. And you go, well, that wouldn't that be a nice thing to believe? Well, then we have to believe our God is unjust. Okay, so uh, okay, I don't want to believe that. But there are things where I go, and I go, man, it'd be a lot easier if I didn't believe that. And believing that, whatever it is, standing for that causes heartache sometimes and trials and troubles because you're going to stand for the Word of God. Um, another reason is unorganized oh, study. Simply, we we, ex- we expect to read it, and God's just going to reveal things to us. <laughs> um we, we ought to be studying... You see, Scripture isn't a concordance that you go... You know what? I want to know more about church discipline. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 18. Okay, now I have all the information I need on church discipline. No, that's only a part of it. you got to go to the writings of Paul. Uh, I want to know more about... Um, well, we can go in many different ways. And, but let me say this. We are supposed to study all the Scripture and gain clarity from the full context. The process of scripture interpretation is called hermen- hermeneutics. There's different types of preaching, but the different types of preaching also can be used in your Bible study. So, for instance, there's textual preaching. Uh, the text is used to support a thought. That's dangerous. Okay, That is, I want to believe something, so I'm going to find scripture, and I'm going to find a commentary. I'm going to read a bunch of commentaries, so I find the commentary that backs up what I want to believe. I think this, and so I'm going to find somebody who holds to them. Um, now, I was just talking with another pastor today on the phone, and another pastor in the area, and uh, and we were talking about that, and I said, you know, pastoring has, is, is, I never understood. Even being an assistant pastor, I didn't understand, because I could always go, well, that's what we believe is, well, that's what he believes, you know, I'm just, I'm the, I'm the assistant But when I study a passage, I have to be able to tell you why I believe what I believe. Not, this is why our church believes this. Not, this is why... Why do I believe this? And that's really difficult. Because it's really difficult to approach Scripture without any bias. Because I look at Scripture and I go, alright, I believe this, so I've got to find where it tells me that. That's the wrong way to study Scripture. And I was telling that pastor, I said, "I, I want... I want to just dig into the Word of God and I want to be ready to just understand and know what God wants me to know. But here's where that gets scary. Because what if I find something in there and I believe... I'm not sure I believe what I used to believe on that. And when I find that, I know this. There are going to be people... Um, maybe in our church, maybe not, but there might be people in our church who would say, I'll tell you what, pastor's abandoned faith. Because he doesn't think it's wrong for men to have facial hair. You know? Uh, or, you know, silly, I'm, I'm using silly illustrations, but there are silly things like that. And here's the other thing, is you will lose friends. I will lose friends in ministry if I don't agree with them on certain things. Now, I won't do that to I, I really don't think I would somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Stephen, you know, I'm not talking the virgin birth, I'm not talking the inerrancy of Scripture, I'm not talking um, the, uh, the embodiment of Christ, I'm not talking about any of those. I'm talking about things that are secondary, tertiary and, and, uh, issues. Okay? And if somebody comes to me and says, man, I used to believe that, I don't, and I can believe wholeheartedly that they're wrong, I'm not going to abandon them as my friend, because they disagree with me on this secondary issue. But I do know that there are people who will abandon my friendship with them because I don't believe that like I used to? And I really want to know the word of God. I really want to know the truth. And I was telling this other pastor. He said, "My heart. I promise you, my heart is. I just want to know what God wants me to know. I just want to know the truth, not filtered through the lens of the way I grew up or the lens of the way that what the church constitution says, and that's important. Don't get me wrong, church authority, we're gonna talk about that Sunday morning. Church authority is extremely important. But I have to stand before God and say, I preached this because this is what I truly believe you were showing me. Not I preached it because this is what people expected me to preach. And so there's textual, using a text to support your thought, topical. Alright, we're gonna find the topic, we're gonna to find different passages maybe to cover it. And that's I've done it it's necessary at times I don't think it should uh, to me that's not the best way for me to do it okay uh, but expository is tr- the preacher tries to expose the truth the true meaning of the passage and so expository to expose it's, you practice uh, exegesis which is to pull out exegesis is to put on that text this is what I want to mean so this is what I'm going to have me. Uh, I'm uh, just telling you Sunday morning Matthew chapter sixteen verse eighteen. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not, prepare, shall not prevail against it. Um, and I will, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what you bind in heaven will be bound. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose on earth, heaven. Loose in yeah, earth will be loose in heaven. And that's a tough one. And I've been studying it. I've been saying, Lord, I just want to know the truth. I don't want to fit a narrative. I really want to know the truth. Now good sermon preface an attempt to pull out the true meaning of the passage and to use illustrations to explain it. The opposite is looking to put a theme onto a passage. And I have seen that so many times. Uh, here, take a verse out of context. not even what the words mean. Okay? Because they meant that 400 years ago, but <coughs> they don't mean that now. And just take it and run them. Um, let me give you an example. Um, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, how many of us agree we should probably stay away from looking like we're doing evil things, right? Okay? So I would agree. Me and John and Mike Dawson. And uh so we we all think now none of us do, but we all think we should. Alright, so um, abstain from all appearance. That's not what that that's not what that means. That's a good thought. But literally it means abstain from all forms of evil. Okay? So we but people will build a whole sermon on abstain from all appearance of evil, and you shouldn't um you know, you, you shouldn't go here, you shouldn't go there. There may be wisdom in that, but we've got to be careful, as I've Brian before, we've got to be careful using example in Scripture as mandate. What we see an example of does not mean there's a mandate. Alright, uh, look to pull Scripture, that, or look to pull out of Scripture the true meaning. Let's close with this. Uh, the, the last thing, the reason that we don't understand is the resistance to teaching. And so we, we don't like formal instruction. Who is he to tell me? But you know, he he. I used to change his diapers. Okay, there's probably more than two people in this room that could say that. And I think I was four when jermaine met me. I don't think I had diapers in. But uh, you say, well, I used to. I, I've known him since, and I, I'm not going to listen to him because um, I know I know him. I've known him for a long time, and, and I'm not going to listen to his teaching. Or uh, we get narratives of us. I can understand this better than he can. I can understand this better than she can, and we resist. Teaching of the Word of God. Always take the teaching of the Word of God and study it for yourself. Okay, your job is not okay. I sat through a Wednesday night Bible study. I'm good. Now I can go home, and um, I'll wait till Sunday to hear more from of what the pastor has to say. You're supposed to search it out, see if it's true, see if what I'm telling you is true. It doesn't worry me a bit. And you know what? You might find somewhere where I have made a mistake. You probably will if you study enough. Where the pastor made a mistake. I'll own up to it and say, yeah, you're right. I think I did. Um, I'm, I'm not. My job isn't to be perfect. My job is to do my best, but it's also your job to go home and do your best. It's later. All right. We're going to close there. Next week, well, I should tell you what I'm going to cover next week. Um, next week, we're going to talk about the, um, the preservation of Scripture. And that's a, that's going to take up the rest of the time because there's a lot there. Okay? We'll talk about the preservation of Scripture next week. All right. So it's it's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It is understandable. Okay? And next week we'll talk about It is uh, preserved. Okay? Do we have God's Word? I think we do. All right? We'll talk about that next week. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at FBC hazelpark.com